You're listening to Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast, where we believe that every teacher deserves a coach, and every coach does too. I'm Chrissy Beltran, an instructional coach, resource creator, and coffee enthusiast. And I'm your host. Stay tuned for practical tips and honest coaching talk that will help you coach with confidence. Hey, coaches. Welcome to episode 59 of Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast. Today, I am really excited to share this episode with you because we're talking about a topic that a lot of coaches have specifically asked about. And whenever I ask for feedback on what topics you wanted to hear about this year, this season, this was one of them that came up a few times. I'm talking today to Amy Burkholder about what to do when you feel like giving up coaching and going back to the classroom. So before I bring Amy on, I want you to know that I think every single coach feels this way at some point in their coaching experience, probably, especially the first couple of years, (laughs) even the very first day of coaching, I can remember helping direct traffic in the hallways, telling kids where to go to find their classrooms. And then I just felt whenever all the classrooms were filled and all the kids were in the the spots and I went back to my room by myself, I remember sitting there going, I'm this is horrible. Nobody needs me. I'm not going to get to do all the really cool beginning of year stuff and get to know a new class full of kids. Teachers are not fun compared to kids. Kids are fun and I'm sad. And I just really struggled with that. And it took me a little while to realize that that was not always going to be the case, first of all, because teachers absolutely need you. And teachers can be fun. It's just different than kids. And you can still do a lot of really great work with kids if you're really balancing your coaching time and making sure that you're getting into classrooms to provide support and, you know, coaching support. But it also, my job became more defined. My role became more defined. So I knew what was being asked of me and I knew what to do. And and over time, I felt better about that once I had routines and systems in place. But yeah, there's some days You just feel like, am I even making the impact that I want to here? Am I good at this job? I don't know. Maybe somebody else would do a much better job with this school than I would. And it can be hard to reconcile that because you are so alone as an instructional coach, especially if you're the only one on your campus. But even if you're not and you have a buddy, you can still feel pretty alone because you are navigating relationships with teachers and you really can't share a lot about that beyond, you know, maybe your spouse or your partner or people who don't know your teachers. And that can be really isolating. Coaching work can feel really isolating. And so that's, I'm really glad that we're going to chat about this today because I feel like this is almost like a mental health conversation for coaches because this is so important. What do you do when you feel like you're just not being successful? You just want to give up. And so I'm about to bring on Amy Burkholder and uh, she's going to share with us about her experience and we're going to learn from her today. So without further ado, welcome Amy to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I am excited that you are here too. And I know I use the word excited way too much. I used to use it with my students all the time. Um, I'd be like, I'm so excited about this book. They're like, you're always excited about everything, but it's true. (laughs) (laughs) I am excited Uh, because I think this topic is going to be so helpful to so many coaches. And this is actually a question I got a lot as I was planning out this season. Um, I was like, what do you guys want to know about? What do we need to talk about? And this was something that came up a few times. What do we do when you are just done and you feel like you're not effective and you just want to give up and you don't even know where to start. And you just, you know, you're like, I, I was better as a teacher. I'm just going to go back and do what I know. So I'm excited to talk to you about that today. So to get people um, 
know you a little bit. Can you introduce yourself and talk a little bit about who you are and maybe how you ended up doing the work that you're doing and what kind of work you really focus on now? Of course. So I'm Amy Burkholder and I'm from Southwest Virginia. I'm currently teaching. This is my 10th year as an educator. I started teaching here in Virginia at a Title I school as a first grade teacher. Um, I taught first grade for four years. My first year teaching, I just remember sitting at that small group table with my students and realizing that, oh my gosh, I'm a first grade, I'm a first grade teacher. It's my job to teach these kids how to read. Um, and so I had taken some courses in reading, but nothing like really in depth. So I decided that if I was supposed to teach these little kids how to read, that I really needed to make sure that I knew how to do it the right way. So I went back to school and I got my reading specialist degree and at that point, I really had no intention of becoming a reading specialist. I just really wanted to be able to teach the students how to read. Um, so as time went on, I just fell in love with teaching reading. Um, and it was about my fourth year as a first grade teacher. My principal approached me about the possibility of teaching Title I, um, which this was at the school that I was I was at and it was all reading. So I wasn't sure that I was ready to leave the classroom, but at the same time, I felt like I love teaching reading so much. I just needed to give it, give it a trap. So just to clarify, title one at your school is, is an intervention program. It is an intervention okay. program. And at the school that I was at, it was only mm-hmm. reading. So, okay. cause where I, I live, all of our schools are title one pretty much. Uh-huh. So we don't have, like, it's not designated in that way. We're just all title right. one. So, <laughs> right, right. Yes. So we, in our district, we have four title one schools. Okay. Yeah. So my principal, she approached me about this and I was like, you know what, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna give this a try. So I did that for a little while. I taught title one, I taught grades kindergarten through fifth grade. And I did that for two years and I absolutely loved it. I loved working with students of all ages. I had a really good team. We had so much in common. We planned school-wide literacy events. Um, and we just loved, loved being together and loved teaching the kids. So my third year, as I was setting up my room, the Title I room, my little corner in my room, I got a phone call from the director of education. And she said, Amy, there's this literacy coach position open, and I would love for you to interview for it. Um, and I should also mention that this is the, this was the second year of our district taking reading specialists and moving them more into the instructional coaching role. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I wasn't sure how I felt about that either because I'm like, well, I love teaching reading. And in my eyes, I was like, oh, well, I'm a literacy coach. Like I'm just going to be teaching teachers all day. So I wasn't sure how I felt about it at all. Um, so I called my husband and asked him what he thought. And in his true fashion, he says, just do whatever makes you happy. And I'm like, that's really helpful. Thanks. Yeah. I just, and I love the school I was at. So I just spent like the next couple hours in tears because I was so mm-hmm. on what to do. Um, you know, I love the school that I worked at. I love the teachers. I love the students and the admin. Um, but I thought, you know, when the director of education calls you and asks you to interview, you do it, you know, you just do it. And so um, the next day I interviewed and by that evening, I was a literacy coach at a new school. And the next day I was crying the whole day, moving mm-hmm. my classroom into a new school. Um, and here I am. And this is my career as a literacy coach. 
I totally can relate to that because I was also called by someone to say, we want you to apply for this. And I was like, I don't think I'm ready to leave the classroom yet. Um, and then after I, I was like, well, I'll just go for the interview. I'll just go to see what it's like. Cause someday maybe yeah. I want to do that. And then I went and then they called me back and they offered it. And I, I actually, in the meeting, they mentioned in the interview, they, they were like, so far you're our first choice. And I, I actually cried in that moment. Cause I thought if they offer it to me, I have to take it, but right. I don't, I don't, want, <laughs> I don't know if I'm ready for that. And then I, once I accepted it, I cried like the whole summer. It was terrible. Mm-hmm. We were on a cruise. I was crying. It was awful. <laughs> <laughs> it was a hard move. So I can totally relate to that. And I, I think I've, I've actually heard from a lot of coaches who listen to this podcast and who get emails from me and they said they have had a similar experience. It's sort of that whole, it's thrust upon you. Yes. <laughs> uh, you're voluntold. <laughs> yes. So you're making a move that you had no intention, but then it turns out that it's a good move, but it, it takes a while to get to that place where you feel good about it. Exactly. Exactly. So I was wanting to know a little bit about the instructional coaching work that you do. So where do you spend most of your time as an instructional coach? Well, um, ironically, this year I'm teaching kindergarten because of COVID and all of that stuff. So it's a little different role this year. But typically I spend the majority of my time as a literacy coach and I'm coaching and planning collaboratively with teachers in kindergarten through fifth grade. Um, We do a lot of we do that weekly and I coach, I try to coach three to four teachers on an individual basis at a time. I do still pull small groups, which keeps me balanced and happy. Um, and I have a team of, we're not title, the school I'm at now is not title one, but we do have resource teachers. And so I have a couple of resource teachers that I work closely with and we plan together for our, um, our small groups and our intervention groups that are being pulled. Okay. So I would say I spend most of the most amount of my time in K2 and then somewhere around February, I began to kind of shift more towards the upper grades as far as any intervention groups that I pull. But as far as coaching, I'm coaching K5 collaboratively. Okay. Interesting. Um, so what do you think makes coaching so darn difficult? Because I think everybody has maybe a slightly different answer to this, but, and it kind of depends on your role and what you're working with, but what, what is, what is, has been challenging about coaching for you? Well, uh, it's funny that you should, because as I was telling you the story about how I became a literacy coach, I didn't tell you how difficult it has been, um, So in a nutshell, I ended up at a school that for whatever reason, the literacy, the reading specialist didn't coach the first year. Mm -hmm. Um, And so here I was walking in with this assumption that these teachers understood my role and that they would just welcome me with open arms. (laughs) And, you know, looking back, I'm like, that was so naive. Um, I just, you know, the school that I moved to had an older population. Um, Most of them had never taught in a small group setting. They weren't familiar with literacy centers or our literacy plan. Um, They weren't familiar with how to differentiate within the classroom. And so I walked in with this assumption that everyone in our district was teaching the way that we taught at the Title I school that I was at. Um, and I was wrong. I was so wrong. And I just feel like that kind of got me off on the wrong foot mm-hmm. um, with them. And so it took me a little bit really to realize what was going on, because like I said, you know, the whole literacy coaching thing was new to me, too. Um, so about that same time, I realized I hate this. Like, 
don't, what have I done? Like I've left this only school that I've ever known. I've left my friends. I've left all the students and like, what have I done? And so I just Mm -hmm. many days in my office, just crying. I mean, it was awful. Um, I spent evenings crying and um, most of the teachers, they just did not want my help. And not only that, they just, they weren't very nice to me. They were pretty open about like, we don't need your help. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They were very vocal about it. Um, so here I was, and it was my first year as a literacy coach and I was already ranking on the lowest end of the scale in my building. Um, and one day when I was in my office crying, this teacher walked in and she just happened to be one of the few teachers that were really open and that embraced having me in there. And she basically told me that I needed to get my big girl pants on and do what I was hired to do that, you know, and she went into the different personalities within the building and she said, you're letting them win. And she said, you're letting them take your joy. And, um, that was, that was so eye opening for me. It was such a big wake up call because I knew deep down that I couldn't sit in my office and cry. Mm -hmm that I owed more to myself. I know I knew that I owed more than that to the students and I owed more than that to the teachers. I felt like in the building. Mm-hmm. So after that day, I just decided that the best thing that I could do was work with those few teachers that I knew would be willing to work with me. Um, so that's where I started and I worked with those teachers and I worked with those students and I continued to plan and collaborate with the other teachers too. Um, but I started just not taking things personally mm-hmm. to collaborate and apply that gradual pressure of getting them to try new things. Um, and, you know, fast forward to now, and I really do love my job and I love the teachers that I work with. And I mean, we still have moments, there's still difficult teachers. I, we still have disagreements. Sometimes I still cry in my office. Um, but I feel like I'm in a better place. And I feel like just starting with those, those, co- those teachers that wanted me to be a part of their classroom was such a good place for me to start. I guess I starting with a friendly, starting with the teachers who are excited and granted eventually like the responsibility is to get into all the rooms, but you can't, right. you don't want to start by getting like forcing yourself into that room that nobody wants you in right off the bat, because that's just going to set up a lot of bad precedent. Um, and it does, it takes your joy. It makes you miserable because you're like, why am I even doing this? It's not even effective. And, and I, I can relate so much to that. Whenever you're in the classroom and you're teaching, you maybe talk to colleagues about what they do. And so maybe you have some ideas that there might be some differences, but then you go out of the classroom and you see teaching in other classrooms and possibly other schools, you know, if you've changed schools and it is like completely eye opening and shocking. And it's like, oh my gosh, I had no idea this was being done. And, and now I, I'm responsible for helping f- people figure things out. And when you're a literacy coach, there are special expectations on literacy coaches that are not just on instructional coaches in general, because right. you are tied to those specific best practices right. in, in my experience. And mm-hmm. so math and science coaches, they have a little, their best practices, of course, but there's more flexibility within that. And with literacy coaches, there's so much research on this is, there are certain things that we need to be doing in classrooms. And whenever that's not in place, it's part of your responsibility to grow that on your campus. And that is really hard when you come attached to a set of practices, even if it's a broad, you know, framework. 
And that is really a challenge because you, you look in, and it's hard not to just see deficit whenever you have a goal that you have to work towards. So it's really, it's a challenge in ourselves to look at that, those schools and say, okay, what is in place? What can we start with? What do we already have going on? What's already really great? Um, because whenever we start by looking at what's missing, it's really hard. And it's hard not to do that when you mm-hmm. come from your classroom, your bubble, right? <laughs> right. Well, or a school, like I said, yes. you know, doing all of those things. And, you know, I just, um, and we did, we had, we had this layout of this literacy plan that mm-hmm. again, I assumed everyone was doing, I was exactly. doing it, so I did it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I do remember just telling and, and telling the teachers and talking to the teachers once they finally got on board, I said, just take this one component. Let's mm-hmm. word study this way. Do everything else the way you've always done it. Let's get mm-hmm. this. Let's figure out how to make it work best for you in your classroom. And then when you feel comfortable, we'll move on and, you know, and, and doing that gradually, I think really helped. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that completely. I tried to start with something that and in retrospect, I would probably start, it'd be night and day, right? <laughs> if I were starting over at a new school right now. Um, but I tried to start with something that I thought they would have at least more experience with um, based on what I had seen and, and had been told about the classroom practices that were already in place. So I started with shared reading because that is something that a lot of people, they do it one somehow. It is done somehow. Um, not everybody does, you know, like you're talking about small group. Guided reading is not is not happening everywhere, right? Stations don't happen everywhere. Independent reading doesn't happen everywhere, but shared reading, there's usually some sort of semblance of shared. Everybody has a copy of something, right? (laughs) Or everybody has visual access to something. So I figured, okay, that's something that at least they would feel like I wasn't like coming out from, you know, like a blast out of nowhere. Like, what are you even talking about? Um, but, But developing that common language, even to talk about practices and to align those frameworks, that was a really long road. And that was the biggest challenge at the beginning, aside from obviously building relationships, which is just a huge challenge for everybody. Right. Right. <laughs> so you mentioned a couple of the challenges that you've had um, as first out as you were first starting out as a coach, but can you think of any other instances that were really challenging that you had to work through as a new coach? I just, I think working, working with those, um, teachers because I came in and I was a lot younger, you know, and so building those relationships with those teachers to me was the most challenging mm-hmm. because, you know, if they don't want you in there, but you're, you need to be in there and you need to be in there supporting them. That's a delicate balance. Yes. Um, and so I feel like that in general was the most difficult for me. And I think too, being a literacy coach is kind of like a lonely job because you really want to be a part of a team and you are part of a team in a sense, but in that other sense, it's like, you really don't have anyone that is doing your job, you know, someone to yes. kind of talk to. And mm-hmm. so for me, that was the most challenging too, is just to have left a school where I had that team. And then, you know, and not. 
right and not. <laughs> yes, I completely get that. It is very <laughs> difficult. A huge transition. Um, you're leaving like your class, which is like your little, you know, your buddies. And then you have your grade level team that if you've worked with them for any, any length of time, you know them and you get them and hopefully it's a good situation. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I mean, yeah, your school, there's a comfort level there. It was a really weird move for me. I remember because the building that I taught in my, at my you know school, whenever I was a teacher, they used the same exact plans for the building that I ended up being a coach in. So it was the same building, like the same structure, but all the people were different. It was so weird. It was like a bizarro world, you know? Um, So that was a really weird move. It was just, I I knew where everything was automatically, but it was just a really strange transition and, and definitely building relationships with teachers who have been teaching for a long time. And, you know, even I taught for nine years before I became a coach, but um I mean, some people have been teaching for almost 30 years in the same room. Um, and I was there with a new administration. And so I was associated with that new administration and that, not that that was inherently a bad thing to be associated, but, um, but you know, associations can be dangerous. <laughs> so, <Yes>. so, <laughs> and then if there's the implication that the school was struggling in the past, then they can feel like, oh, well, you're here to fix us. So are you going to tell us what to do now? And that's obviously not the approach that you want to take. But sometimes you're kind of being asked to do that. So, <laughs> yes. And so it is, it's so hard to build relationships when, you know, and in hindsight, you know, when I interviewed, there were red flags that I picked up on, you know what I mean? That I just didn't, you know, well, how would you, how would you work with a teacher who, you know, and it's just like, okay, you know, looking back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was briefed. I was briefed. So (laughs) I was actually briefed by my previous principal who was like, look, give me one more year here and I will find a school that's a better fit for you. Right. But I felt called and I had to go. So I did. But but yeah, it was there. I know, I know what you're saying and and you don't want to, sometimes people have a bad rap um, and you don't want to cast judgment before you get to the school and and expect negative things out of people either. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's, it's hard to kind of read the room and figure out what's going on and, and what the dynamics are that are at play and also what the history is. Um, you mentioned that there had not been coaching in the past and at the school that I got to, there really, there had been a person in the same position as well, but there was no, no real coaching, not even really planning support or anything. It was more, that person mostly just handled like data and assessments and stuff. Mm -hmm. So we didn't really we had no shared experience on what that could look like. So defining the role, as you mentioned, is so important. And if I started coaching at a new school tomorrow, that would be the first thing that I would do was really hammer out that role with the administration and figure out how I was going to share it with teachers and then just, you know, relationships, relationships, relationships. Exactly. Um, Cause I, without those tools, without a defined role and strong relationships, we get nowhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really rough. And isn't it funny? Cause that's kind of, that's, you know, without those relationships, even in the classroom, yes, students, you know, it's the same adults. Aren't that different when you're, yes. Yeah. We all need, we need that. We need to trust people in order to work Mm -hmm. with them. I think it's just harder to build the trust. I think that kids are more forgiving. So, so much more forgiving and adults are like, "Mm, you're not going to burn me twice or you're not going, I'm not, I've had people in this position before that I'm, I'm not dealing with you. Right. Exactly. tough. It's tough to build those bridges sometimes. And that kind of leads me to the next thing that I want to ask about, which is that we've all had those really hard days 
where we just feel like coaching isn't for us. And this is what drew me to ask you to be on the podcast is as I was, you know, following you on Instagram, I remember reading about how you talked about this issue that some days are just, are just really hard. And you, sometimes you want to run back to the classroom, right? And so what is it that we can do? And what do you do whenever you just feel like, oh my gosh, I just need to pack it up and go back to my classroom? Yes. Well, and as I said, ironically, I'm in the classroom this year. Well, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, and I've sworn so many times I've said to myself, I've said to my husband, I've said to my administrator, I'm going back to the classroom, you know, and I've said that in the heat of the moment. Um, so, but this year I am in the classroom when COVID hit, we had to reduce our class sizes and our district just really had to pull all the resources that we had. So this year I've been blessed to be able to be a kindergarten teacher to 14 sweet babies that I walk into every single day. Um, and I really, really have enjoyed being in the classroom, but I feel like it's almost a blessing because it has made me realize how much I really love being a literacy coach. Um, so while I'm enjoying it for sure, I'm excited to get back to coaching, get back to my regular, regular role. Um, and, but I also feel like this is a unique experience because being in the classroom has been really good for my street credit. Yeah. I was going to ask about that. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's like, they see me in there and I'm doing it and I'm, you know, scarfing my lunch down so that we have to recess and, you know, I'm doing all the things that really it's easy to forget when you're not in the classroom, the other responsibilities that teachers have. So it's kind of been good for me too, because I can remember that next year when I'm saying, let's try this or let's do that when they have all these other responsibilities too. Um, but anyway, when I'm feeling down or have had a tough day or a tough week, I really just take a step back and I go back to those teachers that inspire me, those teachers that always welcome me, those teachers that I learn just as much from because you know, we all have those teachers in our buildings and we co-teach together. We do room transformations. We do fun things together. And it just really helps me remember why I love my job and why I love teaching. And so I feel like if I'm having that, that hard day or that hard week, it's okay to say, you know what, I'm going to take a week and I'm not going to have a full coaching load this week. I'm not going to do that this week. I'm going to go in and I'm going to go co-teach with this first grade teacher that I love so much because that makes me feel better. And when I feel better, I can be more productive and I can kind of reset and refocus and, and, you know, get back to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's an interesting idea. And I, I think, yeah, visiting those classrooms that you love visiting um, the teachers that, that are doing the great things, you know, it, it is, it fills up your soul so much and it shows you that there are good things happening on your campus and sometimes we can be really bogged down in where we're not getting, you know, <laughs> we know where we have to get and we are not there. And, um, I'm very much like, a, okay, what do I need to do next? What do I need to do next? So that's my personality. And so it can be really you know, overwhelming after a while. You're like, this is, oh my gosh, this is exhausting. We have to take a minute to take stock and see where we've come. Like, this is where mm -hmm. we are now. And mm -hmm. this is good. So yeah, we do have to appreciate where we've gotten and we have to do things that help us find the joy. Um, in, in our coaching work. So how has your coaching changed over time to become more joyful? 
And, and, and does like recognizing that, does it, does it because you feel more effective or is there something else that has changed to support you being joyful in your coaching work? Um, I think so. And I think, I, I mean, I do feel that I am more effective because I've learned so much about the teachers and I've learned their personalities and, you know, and that's something that you can't learn the first year, or even the second year, you really have to work with people for a while to really understand them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do love working with adults. It's definitely different. Um, but I love the fact that, you know, you can still see those light bulb moments, even with adults. Yeah. And it's like when a teacher tries something that they've been super unsure about, or they have a student that grows, or they just flat out nail a lesson. It just brings me joy because it brings them joy. And to look back to where we were and where we started um, and that we're working together and, you know, it's not always what, you know, it's not always wonderful, but, um, and working collaboratively, it's just magical. You know, I just feel like I learned so much every day and I feel like taking that first, that first year, taking that step back and really putting in the time with those teachers who were easy to work with mm-hmm. so much in the long run, because what happened is those teachers talked to other teachers. Mm-hmm. They realized that I really was there to be helpful and I was there to collaborate and I was there to be a part of their team and to support them. And the bottom line is that, you know, we're all there to do what's best for children. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that really, I think that really helped us is just to know that, you know, we, we might duke it out over what we think is going to happen, but the bottom line is, you know, we're going to do what we feel is best for our, you know, for our students. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Having that common understanding that you're not there to get anybody, um, that you're really there to be supportive and that you are, um, you're there for kids to do what's best for kids. And you're going to help the teachers do that, whatever that is. Um, Mm -hmm. That's great. That's a great understanding to have. So what are some positive messages that you can send out to all the coaches who are feeling ineffective or frustrated and just ready to throw in the towel today? Just don't quit because (laughs) it is hard. Even, even this is my, I'm in my fifth year and it's still so hard some days. Mm -hmm. You're there for a reason. Um, you're making a difference, even though you feel like you're not. Um, I would suggest keeping a journal because I feel like being able to look back and see how far you've come. Sometimes when you're in the thick of it, it's, and, and it's right there. It's too, it's too easy to just say, I'm not effective. But when you really go back and you really think about how far you've come and how far your students and, and your building and your teachers have come, you really are making a difference and being a literacy coach is not for the weak at heart, (laughs) you know, and, and that's okay. That's okay. Because you were called to do this for a reason. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was just talking to somebody about that yesterday. Um, an instructional coach from, uh, instructional coaching corner at the podcast. And he said, you have to be courageous. You have to be, you know, you have to be brave and you have to do the things and say the things sometimes that you're afraid to do and say, 
um, because that is where, that's where you're going to make the impact. That's where the, the, the results are going to happen. And if we just exactly. avoid the conflict, like you were talking about at the beginning, the teacher said, the teacher came to you and said, okay, it's time, time. You got to suck it up. You got to suck it up and right. get in there and that's do what right. you got to do. Mm-hmm. Um, we do that to avoid. Cause we're like, oh, there's so much conflict and there's so much trouble and I don't even know how to address it. And so I'm just not going to deal with that, but mm-hmm. then we can't make the impact that we want to. That's right. And then you're not, and if you do that, you're not doing you're not doing your job, you right. know, you're just not. And it's okay. It's okay to take a step back and avoid to get yourself together and figure out the best approach and the best way to handle the situation. But then you're right. It's time to, to go in and do, do your job, do what, do what you're supposed to be doing. So. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Well, everybody needs some time and space and that's okay. But then, then what are you going to do? That's right. That's <laughs> Make, right. Plan. Make it happen. <laughs> So if coaches only walk away with one idea from this conversation today, what do you think it should be? I think, um, especially for new coaches, just to be consistent, Mm -hmm. to be fair and to just gradually apply that pressure in the right direction and don't try to do it all, all at one time, because you'll make yourself crazy Do do the best that you can do. And, um, just apply that gradual pressure in the right direction. Mm -hmm. Yes. I like that. I think starting with being thoughtful, choosing something to focus on, start with a plan and then, and then just do it. (laughs) All right. Great. Well, how can people find you to follow you online and to learn, to learn more? So on Instagram, I'm literacy.com adventures, E-D-V-N-T-U-R-E-S. And then I'm also, I have a website that is literacyadventures.com. Perfect. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for being here today and chatting with us. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks to Amy for sharing her insight with us and her experience. I hope this helps to show you that if you are feeling this way, you are absolutely not alone. Just think about how many parallels there were between Amy's experience and mine. And that was just what we talked about in 30 minutes. (laughs) So many people have struggled in in similar and wildly different ways. And it is all kind of normal when it comes to coaching. So coaching is a, it's an odd, um, odd position to be in and whatever's going on coach. I really hope that you hang in there. Last year, I recorded another episode about this topic. If you want to check it out, it's episode 11, what to do when you feel like a failure. And I can say that because there are times whenever I have felt like a failure, like I was spinning my wheels and having the same conversations year after year after year. And like, we were just stuck in a rut sometimes, but there are things that you can do that will help you kind of pull yourself out of that. I also want to recommend to you Uh, the coffee and coaching membership, because coffee and coaching is a membership specifically designed for instructional coaches. It is hosted by myself and my partner, Nicole Turner of simply coaching and teaching. Now, what we do is provide ongoing monthly support in the form of professional development and a coaching community to our members. And if you are feeling isolated or alone or stuck or struggling, and like you're not getting the support in the community that you need, coffee and coaching could be the place to get exactly what you need. We're going to open that up again in a few short weeks. And um, so it might be a good time to make sure that you are on our email list so that whenever we do open that up, you will be one of the first ones to know. So Next week, we are actually chatting about um, tiering teachers for support. And this is another question that we got a lot (laughs) about whenever we were uh, planning content for this season. 
What do you do when you have a large school or even a medium sized or a small school and you feel like everybody needs your help and it's impossible for you to spread yourself so thinly that you can help every single person? So I've got a really good detailed plan for you that I'm gonna share next week about how to actually tier your teachers for support. And that means put them in different groups so that you can figure out where to put your energy and what kind of support to provide to each different group of teachers. So I really recommend that one. Once I started doing that, it really changed the way that I was approaching my coaching work and I hope it'll be supportive of you too. And until then, happy coaching. Thank you for listening to Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast. Want more coaching ideas? Check me out at buzzingwithmissb.com and on Instagram at buzzingwithmissb. If you love the show, share it with a coach who would love it too, or leave me a review on iTunes. It's free and it helps others find this show. Happy coaching. <laughs>